Hi, I'm the Strategist Cowboy. This week I am reviewing one Swedish lager beer and I put it against a German wheat beer. Both are higher ABV beers for their respective types. The two beers are the Festbier Oktoberfest and Wilhelm Stefaner Vitus Weisenbach. Our first contestant is, despite its German name, the Festbier Oktoberfest from the for us by now well known brewery Remalev Gårdsbryggeri in Eslöv, Scania, Sweden. I have several more beers from Remalev Gårdsbryggeri waiting to be reviewed. Gårdsbryggeri means yard brewery. They are an eco-environmental brewery, according to themselves. I see no reason to doubt it. The brewery started up in 2014. They have several different beer assortments. This, the Fest Beer Oktoberfest beer assortment, isn't mentioned on Remalev Gårdsbryggeri's website anymore. Nor is it mentioned on Systembolaget's website. But perhaps it will make a comeback, a comeback in October again. The Fest Beer Oktoberfest is brewed with water, barley malt and hops, and most certainly yeast. This particular beer is good until April 2022 according to the best before date on the bottle, which I purchased approximately six or seven months ago. The beer has been sitting in my cooler for the whole duration since I purchased it. The Fest Beer Oktoberfest assortment comes in a European standard size 33 centiliter or about 11 liquid ounces bottle. The bottle is a typical long necked bottle typical here in Sweden at least. The bottle's label is white and blue, and it among other text says limited release and Auf zur Wiesen in German. And there are a couple of chickens portrayed on both sides of this text. Auf zur Wiesen is translated to on to the Oktoberfest. The beer costs about 22 Swedish kronor, i.e. 2 US dollars and 35 cents. That is about 85 cents per 4 ounces of beer. Not too expensive. The preferred serving temperature is unknown to me, but I imagine you should serve it at a temperature of somewhere between 6 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 43 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit since it is a lager beer. It is a funny thing that coolers usually or always can have a temperature range from, for example, 3 to 12 degrees Celsius for the same cooler 
with the same temperature setting, depending on if the motor recently has been running or not, when you measure the temperature on the beer. So mentioning preferred temperature is optional, I guess. The Fest beer Oktoberfest has got a 5.9% ABV. How about the experience then? Well, it's pretty low temperature according to this instrument from Bosch. It's about, it just gets lower and lower. What, what is this? 1.6 degrees Celsius. Can that be possible? Well, maybe 2.6 here. Well, sometimes it's more than that. 1.9. Let's open it up. I like the aroma. It's got a one, not even a one finger tall head. I really like the aroma, lager aroma, but good. It's yellowish, it's yellow, it's yellow in color. The first impression that is that this is a really good lager beer. I mean, it is a lager, isn't it? It's a limited release. Yeah, it's a lager. It's not exactly rich, rich, but it's certainly not watery. It's a lager beer, so it's normal. It's, I think it's good. It's not exactly bread-like, but maybe a little bit yeasty. Even though it's uh, not top-fermented, it's bottom-fermented, as a lager is. Uh, I think it's uh, I, there's a little bit yeastiness in. For, uh, Yeasty bread like taste. Yeastiness more, which is uh, remarkable. It is uh, malty, 
Uh, taste of my palate. It's maltiness. The taste of my palate. It's uh, it's not sweet. But it's not very dry either. A little bit bitter, maybe not so hoppy. Uh, it's not candy like. I don't think. Uh, there are any fruitiness in it to speak about to talk about uh, fruitiness and this would be to go to excesses but it's still good i don't uh, I wonder. I don't. I, I don't sense any spices in it. Maybe some herbs. But there is this little bit of uh, uh, syrup taste in it, and I, that's not so. Positive, but that 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 may be the reason why it's uh, fairly strong. Sometimes they use syrup to strengthen up the ABV level a bit in lagers, but uh, it's not good to have syrup in beers. But if you want a stronger beer, sometimes it's, sometimes it, it can be necessary if you're not gonna lager this beer for a longer period of time, like, like make it mature more. Uh, yes, it's a little bit syrup taste in it. But not as much as in Danish beers. This is not disturbing at all. It's a good beer, still. The carbonation level, I don't know. I don't think it's so, so much. I don't feel like I need to burp yet anyway. <clears throat> it's not cre creamy, it's not acidic, and there are no aberrations. Apart from the syrup, if, if syrup is an aberration, that can be discussed. But um, uh, it's not pine needle in it, so it's good. What about grading then? 
How many endeavors do I grade this pair? Well, I would have graded it eight debits out of 10 possible if there, there wasn't uh, syrupy taste in it. But now I think I have to downgrade it a little bit to seven debits out of 10 possible. It's a price they have to pay for making a stronger beer. If they hadn't had syrup in it, it perhaps wouldn't have been as strong at least not to a reasonable cost to the brewery and ultimately to the buyer. It would have perhaps been better, but uh, maybe not have so strong a beer as, uh, what is it, 5.9%. Maybe around 5% and not have syrup in it, if they have syrup in it, I think they have. It would have been better to have a 5% beer without syrup that would have tasted better. Maybe it would, it would have gotten, gotten a, an 8 debit out of 10 possible review from me. So that's what I think. It is what I think. Okay. Let's move on to our second beer. Our second contestant for this week is the Wayne Stefaner Vitus Weissenbach from the German state-owned brewery, the Bayerische Staatsbrauerei, Wayne Stefan, i.e. Bavarian State Brewery of Wayne Stefan. I guess state-owned breweries are somewhat common in Germany, or at least in Bavaria. Wehenstefan is a Freising city. Freising is a region in um, Bavaria. 42 kilometers, i.e. 26 miles north-northeast of München in Bavaria. Vitus means vitality, and it is also a Latin-originated first name for a male person. Weissenbock is literally translated wheat bock. The Bayerische Staatsbrauerei Weihenstefan advertises itself as the world's oldest brewery, although this claim is disputed. The ingredients in the Vitus Weissenbock beer are water, wheat malt, barley malt, hops and yeast, according to the bottle. Excuse me. It has got an IBU of 17, which is normal for a wheat beer or even at the higher end of a wheat beer. This particular beer is good until more than halfway into May 2022, according to the best before date on the bottle. The Vitus Weizenbach assortment comes in a semi-standard 50 cent liter, i.e. 17 liquid ounces bottle. 
The bottle's label is threefolded, and the front labels are golden and white. And there is a saint holding a feather pen in one hand, and a rooster walking on a closed book in the other hand, on the upper front lab label. What happened to the buck in the Weizenbach? This beer assortment costs 27 Swedish kronor, i.e. 2 US dollars and 90 cents. That is slightly over 65 cents per 4 ounces of beer. That is pretty cheap for such a strong wheat beer. The preferred serving temperature is according to Sustainblog 6 to 8 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 43 to 46 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says 8 to 10 degrees Celsius i.e. 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit, about preferred serving temperature on their website. The Vitus Weizenbach has got a 7.7% ABV. How about the experience then? It shows a temperature of 13.7 degrees Celsius. It's not at all like the former beer. And that's strange because I recently took it out of the cooler. It should be lower according to the former measurement from for the former beer. But this is this is just stupid. This is a shit tool, a shit instrument. Anyway, it's uh, fifty-three degrees, fifty-seven degrees, fifty-three degrees point four, fifty-three point four degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, I don't know what to believe anymore. Let's open it up. It's got about one finger tall head and it's ja light yellow in color and uh, cloudy. I don't, I don't, I don't see my fingers through the glass. The aroma is wheat aroma. The first impression is that this beer, when they made this beer, they, they tampered with the yeast strings. Like they often do in Germany, because they have no other way to improve their beer. Not many effective ways to improve their beer, their beers. But I, I don't think it gets very much improved. It, it's the other way around. But maybe I'm wrong about they have tempering 
with the yeast strings. It may be the wheat beer. The wheat in the beer. But the first impression is, I don't like this beer like I like a Belgian wheat beer. It's uh, pretty strong. It's 7.7% ABV. So I still don't like it very much. It's uh, like 7.7% should be should be rich, and it is fairly rich. And uh, is it bread-like? No. They have mani manipulated with the yeast strings. It's uh, clear. I don't approve of manipulating with the yeast strings. It gets a banana-like taste, but semi-appealing, but uh, still not appealing. I don't think it's very malty. Well, maybe perhaps uh, a little bit. If you can sense it through the banana taste. The taste on my palate is. Banana taste. Like something. It's not very sweet. It's not sweet. It's not sweet. It's uh, not very bitter. Uh, it's a wheat beer, so I don't know. Uh, the, it's a higher bitterness than. They have a what was it? Seventeen IBU. Uh, no, it was uh, yeah, seventeen IBU. Excuse me. I don't think it's hoppy. It's not candy like. And the fruitiness is banana, like banana string, yeast string fruitiness. I don't I don't sense any spices. In it and uh, no herbs. Perhaps no, I don't think so. The undertone is, uh, well, what I said. The carbonation level is, uh, I don't know. It's not creamy. It's not acidic. But there are these aberrations from manipulating with the yeast strings. There's a price to pay for tampering with the yeast trees. Okay. Uh, what about grading then? Mm. 
if you pour it uh, straight up on the bottom of the glass, it gets a, 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 a head of two fingers tall, a two fingers tall head. But that's if you pour it like that. Vertically. Uh, what about grading then? Ah. I would grade this beer. Five or four devils out of ten possible. If I grade this beer like it was if it was a normal beer, tampering with the yeast drinks beer, five devils. But I don't think it's normal. I, I should I think they should stop doing that in Germany. So I grade this beer four devils out of ten possible. Okay, absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underage or pregnant. Today's lesson is fivefold and it subordinated the headline drones. The first one uh, is Locust Coyote UAV. The US Office of Naval Research, ONR, has developed the Coyote UAV, which can carry an electro-optical or infrared camera and data transmitter. The assignments for Coyote are intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, ISR operations. Coyotes are intended to be launched in drone swarms from marine helicopters type SH-60 or aircraft type US Navy's P-3C Orion or from unmanned platforms. The drone swarms can also be sent up from warships and then perhaps especially from expeditionary strike groups or patrol boats. Coyote's launching platform then has several tubes, but it is but is still quite manageable. It can on land be easily towed by a light ground vehicle. Coyote can be fired from a from and has a maximal flight ceiling of 9,000 plus meters. It is 91 centimeter long with a weight of 5.9 kilograms and has a wingspan of 147 centimeters. The electrically powered Coyote UAV can operate for 90 minutes for ISR collection and 60 minutes with a payload of 0.9 kilograms. Its cruise speed is 55 knots. That's 102 kilometers per hour. 
and it can dash in 70 knots. That's 130 kilometers per hour. The Coyote can be controlled by a line of sight radio link, VHF or UHF, at a maximum distance of 32 kilometers from the P3C Orion or helicopter that controls it. But Coyote is from an airborne platform mission programmed by either the tactical officer or the pilot while the Coyotes are still in the firing tubes. As soon as it's in the air, Coyote follows an autonomous pre-programmed trajectory with real-time updating. The fact that it is pre-programmed makes it difficult to interfere. But there will always be an operator standing by ready to take over if desired. Some of the drones in a swarm can be equipped with high-performance sensors, while others carry low-performance EOIR equipment plus smaller warheads. Depending on the target area and opponents, it is conceivable to send up to 30 quickly launched swarming autonomous drones from marine platforms. But if they get GPS receivers, they will be vulnerable to interference. The US Army developed the Coyote with a counter unmanned air system, CUAS, capable to intercept other small UAVs. The Coyote anti-UAS delivers a kinetic effect by crashing into enemy drones or exploding near them and dispersing blast fragments from its warhead. By 2018, the US Marine Corps was deploying a counter-UAS that had been in development for two years. The ground-based air defense GBAD counter-UAS system consists of the RPS-42S band radar, the Modi electronic warfare system, visual sensors, and the Coyote anti-drone UAV to detect, track, and destroy hostile drones. The system can operate out of a forward operating base or from vehicles such as an MATV or a pair of MRZR off-road vehicles. On 28th of February 2021, Raytheon received a contract from the US Navy for the Coyote Block 3 to provide an ISR and strike capability when launched from, un from unmanned surface vehicles, USVs, and unmanned un underwater vehicles, UUVs. Raytheon announced in August 2021 that a demonstration of the Block 3 in an air intercept test had used a non-kinetic warhead to defeat a swarm of 10 drones. This type of payload reduces potential collateral damage and enables the variant to be recovered and reused. And the second one is called Perdix. Perdix 
is a non-pre-programmed swarm intelligence map from DOD, Department of Defense, which weighs only 290 grams and can fly for 20 minutes at 74 to 111 kilometers per hour. They can be sent out in the hundreds. However, Perdix is not equipped with a warhead and it can be interfered. The US Navy is upgrading the ground-based air defense, GBAD, with new sensors and high energy lasers, lasers for future defense against such drone swarms. The ground-based air defense on the move was planned to be implemented in the US Navy. GBAD is a vehicle-based mobile high-energy laser. GBAD is a cost-effective defense against UAVs, as a shot is very affordable and does not cost many dollars. But the question is how many shots it can fire and in how short intervals. It probably reveals its location as well when fired. Colonel William Zamagni, head of ONR's Expeditionary Maneuver, Warfare and Combating Terrorism Department, says GBAD will provide the US Marine Corps Corps with the capacity to respond to UAV threats with sparse expeditionary forces. He further says that, quote, GBAT exploited against UAVs is just the beginning of its uses and it opens up a myriad of other possibilities for future expeditionary forces, end quote. And the third one I call Nano Unmanned Aerial Systems, US. Nano UAVs can weigh less than 200 grams. Aerovironment Unmanned Aircraft Systems has manufactured the Nano Hummingbird Spy Drone, which impersonates a hovering hummingbird. It is battery powered, controlled by a ground operator, and weighs only 19 grams, i.e. 0.67 ounces. Newest can carry cameras with which they can send images to the ground troops. They can stay in the air for at least 20 minutes and climb to 300 meters altitude. They are difficult to detect from the ground as they have low visibility and low acoustic signature. But it can only be operated on non-windy days. Newest cannot carry any weapons. Newest neither can nor should be pre-programmed which means that the newest signal receivers can be interfered so that it crashes. We can adapt our tactics to try to move only at night when we know that the opponent is nearby. If we do not have telecommunications weapons to interfere a swarm of newest with, which as said can, can climb to 300 meters altitude. Small high power microwave, microwave grenades could do the job but they hit electronically, electronics blindly, regardless of the sender, including our own electronics. 
Although small HBM grenades have a maximum radial effect of about 20 meters. The British Army has developed a 10 times 2.5 centimeter non-UAV called the Black Hornet, a classic helicopter miniature with a built-in micro camera that can stay in the air for 20 minutes. It is operational today. Black Hornet provides ground troops with local situational information. Anuas is sensitive to wind, if possible to an even greater degree than a MAB, micro-aerial micro vehicle. All these names, UAV, UAS, SUAV, TUAV, UCAV, UCAS, STUAS, NUAS, MAB, for what used to simply be called UAVs. And uh, I, I have another lesson. Ground-based scouting microsensors. I imagine that a scouting microsensor does not have to be airborne. You could in advance push them into the ground at tactically important places or road junctions and road dividers. These microsensors could replace or supplement and be, in, be an aid to observers at a very low cost and with a much lower risk of detection. If power supply and stealth signal contact is maintained via wire between the operator group and the microsensor. Microsensors could in the future function as a fire as fire control aids. E.g. at the east coast of our island of Gotland for grenade launchers M41, Archer, etc against enemy landing craft and against the Russian rocket launcher Smirch, etc. You could initially, initially program the microsensors GPS co coordinates into the scouting item on the spot and determine the di direction and distance of the scout himself in relation to the microsensor near the scout's lookout point and focus on narrow ambush locations of attack such as a short stretch of road or a beach strip. The advantages of ground-based microsensors are that they are more durable and that microsensors on the ground in trees or on house facades or are less sensitive to wind than maps and NUAS, and there is less risk of them being detected. The disadvantage is that it becomes more difficult to get an overview of a larger area. And the last uh, part is called Pyrus. Pyrus is an explosive firebomb named after the Greek word for fire, and it was invented by Raytheon. It is effective against groups of soldiers passenger vehicles, and probably also against splinter-proof vehicles. Its biggest merit is that it is possible to equip even a relatively small UAV with Pyrus. Raytheon's Pyrus weighs only 6 kilograms, is 55 centimeter long, 
and less than 10 centimeter in diameter. In previous tests, Raytheon tested the Pyrus control system. Pyrus has GPS with an inertial navigation system and therefore does not need to be manually aimed at the target in real time. The target may be behind the bomb because when it drops and begins to steer past the coordinates that the system had, the firebomb turns against these new coordinates. The warhead can detonate in different ways. If you want to penetrate a building, you have a delay that is triggered when the bomb has hit something that slows down the speed of the bomb. Then there is the, det the detonation that is triggered when hitting a car, even against a moving car. And you want the bomb to detonate directly when you hit this kind of target. Pyros also has a sensor for optimized action against soldiers in the open, which is set so that the bomb detonates above the ground, where the warhead spreads deadly splinters. The reason why I mentioned this weapon is that an UAV equipped with Pyros, in my, in my opinion, can interoperate with operators of a fronted swarm of NUAS or MAV. It is so much easier to get an effect with Pyros equipped, equipped UAVs if the operators of Pyros already know in advance which target to look for or at least know which sectors, houses, groups of soldiers with vehicles by having already initiated the reconnaissance with the almost unstoppable but interferable NUAS. Pyrus does not seem to be operational in the US Army today. Thank you and see you later, alligator at a while crocodile. Oh, thank you.